Hello, people. Welcome to the second episode of Brontide. It's a, it's a blast to be here, isn't it? <laughs> Brontide. We've actually had a lot of storms lately here in the Bay Area, and it's it's so interesting because um, I feel like because we don't get that much weather, people like don't know how to interact with it, myself included. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of fascinating. How's the weather been for you lately, Joel? By the way, up there in Seattle. Oh, rainy as usual. Rainy, dark, gloomy. Mm-hmm. We got snow a couple weeks ago. Oh wow, you already had some snow. Oh yeah, we already got snow. We might have more coming actually. But uh it's always interesting because we don't have snow clothes. Like we're not snow mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have we're not skiers, we don't go snowboarding. So you you can tell who the skiing families are in the neighborhood versus those who are not based on how, how much gear they, are. they have to go yeah. play in the snow. Yeah, we've got this like amalgamation of finds from Goodwill, you know, on a seasonal basis that we tend to use. But uh, yeah, it's interesting how you can kind of tell who's into what based on the uh, <laughs> the current apparel and weather readiness. Well, that's a perfect segue into today's topic. What are we talking about today, Trace? We are going to be talking about fashion today. We're going to be talking about clothes and identity in fashion. I know all three of us really like clothes. We mm-hmm. like fashion, and it's one way that we all express ourselves. So mm-hmm. we wanted to have a conversation about what it means to us and and what we the sense of identity we find in fashion and how we use it as a way to express ourselves. That's It's such a fun topic, and it's also potentially big. So I'm curious, Joel, what's like a first little story that comes to mind when you think about like Joel starting to realize that you really had a, like a, an eye, a feeling, a sense for fashion? Well, I'm, I'm an elder millennial. So uh, the late 80s and 90s were my, my youthful heyday. And in the early 90s, the big thing was Jinko pants, J-N-C-O. I don't know if, if you are familiar with those. Uh, my fellow uh, elder millennials will probably be familiar with Jinkos, but they were essentially 17 pounds of denim just draped off of your waist uh, <laughs> in these massive, massive leg, right? Uh, uh, the baggiest kind of baggy jeans that you could possibly have. Wait, so was that like a brand or was it a style? Yeah, Jinko was the okay. brand. And they had, they would embroider the JNCO. And I, I think it's Jinko is like what it's short for. And I think they're an LA company. I, they still make them, but they would embroider the 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 Jinko logo on the back pocket. But the thing about the back pockets, because the pants are so huge, the back pockets were like 12 to 16 inches tall and like eight <laughs> inches wide. They were just massive. The whole purse. And so they would, they would, yeah, exactly. And, and they would do all these different embroidery uh, designs. And I remember wanting them so bad. I just, it was like, you know, just, you just, these were like the, you know, they didn't sell them at Mervyn's though. And Mervyn's was where I got all of my clothes. You were know, they expensive? Some, yeah, they were, exp- I mean, they were more expensive than like, you know, Levi's or Lee or Union yeah. Bay or, you know, the other stuff that we would get, but we typically got one pair of pants every year uh plus all of our you know older stuff or whatever other things we could we could find and collect but um 
I remember wanting those really bad. I remember I there was something about the way that they looked and the kids who had them were like they were made. I mean, those were cool kids. If you had Jinkos, you were you were cool. So yeah, from an early age, you know, we we begin to recognize the differences in people's apparel and and how they dress and what that means and and it uh it imparts a pretty significant uh sense of meaning uh in terms of what we ascribe to them and and then also in how they probably think of themselves but do you have do you have early memories of of recognizing clothing and how it differentiated or or what it meant to you i remember in middle school i couldn't tell you the mall store now because they're long gone but there was some store that had these like so i'm a bit older than you i'm i'm what would I, what would I be? Baby Gen X. Um, and, uh, there were these prints that, and they'd make a V-neck t-shirt and a matching scrunchie. <laughs> and, um, they'd also, if you, if you really had the cash, they'd make a jean short with a ruffle of the print around the bottom. So you could have a fully like the scrunchie, the shirt, and then the ruffle all matched. And I remember, um, I don't remember whether or not I had any full sets, but I do remember like just knowing that if I took a shirt and a scrunchie from that place to a kid's birthday party, that they were going to be like over the moon thrilled with the gift. So I remember that being a lot of fun, like going in and picking out which pattern um, someone would want. It It's fascinating to me. I... So one of my earliest fashion memories, besides the fact that I wore a Raiders starter jacket every day to fifth grade, regardless mm-hmm. of the weather, <laughs> um, <laughs> was that I loved chunky tennis shoes mm-hmm. from like, I remember distinctly my first amazing pair of chunky tennis shoes in sixth grade, and they were not necessarily in style. And I was extremely short, petite and skinny, like would get made fun of for being so small. And so the chunky tennis shoes looked even more ridiculous at the bottom of my little stick legs. And I was not particularly cool. And so I would just get made so much fun of. And it's funny to me because I'm like, there was a part of me that was like super into shoes. And that thread of having like tennis shoes, like I have a a pair of Air Maxes I've had since 2014 that I love. I can't tell you how many times I've washed them in the washing machine. They're tried and trues. They're just like, I, I use them on everyday walks. They're not as much a fashion piece anymore because they've been so well loved. But, um, you know, I, I just got my first new pair of Jordans. Like it, t- tennis shoes have been a part of my life since a very, very early age. And I love the fact that whatever that part of me was, that got made fun of didn't actually care and stop wearing the chunky shoes. Like I stuck with it. And now however many decades later, it's like cool to have chunky tennis shoes. (laughs) So do you think that that like affinity is something that's innate? I mean, you know, for as long as humans have, have been clothing ourselves, is it, is it a, an innate appreciation of the form and beauty and art of products, or is it a conditioned desire as a consumer in a capitalistic environment, or is it 
something else that's maybe indexed more pragmatically? Like, what do you think it is about the relationship that we have to close and specifically uh, particular kinds of clothes that maybe impart exclusivity or uh, association tribally or culturally? Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that is innate or is it something that's been conditioned and cultivated, do you think? I think both is kind of my intuitive answer. It feels like it feels like there are people that genuinely have like a deep love for clothing and deep love for the aesthetics aspect of it. Um, that, I mean, you can't, you can't deny that part of it. People just genuinely. You're telling me Tauruses exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if you're into, if you're into astrology and uh, if you know about Tauruses, Tauruses, uh, that's a Taurus quality right there is really into clothes and how they look. And and aesthetic beauty in general. Yeah, Yeah. And obviously the people that have created these, high-end brands and these these pieces of clothing that we all love had a love for clothing and a love and an eye for aesthetics so the people that even created the brands that then market and advertise to people that came from a love for for clothing and a love for the way it looks and a love for design uh, but then obviously you have a lot of ways in which it's conditioned in a lot of ways and like you're joel like you're saying there's a very tribal element of uh, you know, I'm wearing these clothes. I'm with this crowd. I'm I'm accepted. I belong. Um, this these clothes gives me some sort of status indicator. Um, there's a lot of that part too. So I find fashion to be a kind of uh, fashion that can, can sometimes be a tricky subject for me because I have such a love for the the design, the aesthetics, and especially from a lot of the high end brands. Um, but I also have a lot of issues with uh, the way that this kind of capitalist structure has. Uh, continually marketed and advertised things to people to and and kind of preyed on their uh, feeling like they're not enough, like they're lacking, like they uh, need to have this thing to feel complete. Um, there's a whole kind of world in there that is unhealthy and kind of preys on the feeling of lack and, and scarcity for people. So um, it's a it's it can be a it's a kind of dual thing for me of like a love for this this industry and a love for these beautiful pieces and uh, kind of recognizing that not all of it is really conducive to human health and, and well-being and and happiness. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the idea of fashion, I mean, people may be wondering, like, what the hell does fashion and apparel and clothing have to do with Brontide? And I think it's it's a very interesting kind of adjacency and and even a door into understanding some of the global systems at play that uh-huh. constitute culture today and and constitute kind of the 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 platform that uh, on which our economy is built right the the global systems of of textiles and and uh, manufacturing and fabrication and and ultimately sewing of of garments as well as the recycling uh and um uh, you know the recycling aspect of all of it, as well as the carbon impact, right? That that the consumption of apparel has on our world. Um, uh, there's a, a a Bloomberg article that quotes a few studies: one from McKinsey, one from the World Economic Forum, and one from a, a private research consultancy out of the UK. And what they what they discovered essentially was the U.S. throws away up to 11.3 million tons of textile waste each year. Wow. Like that's insane. So it's over 2000 pieces of clothing are discarded every second. 
which is insane, right? And so you begin to think about like, how does that pile up and where does it go and where is it coming from? And you start to follow some of those trails and I think you get to some really interesting places. So um, like how familiar are you two with like the slow fashion movement? Is it yeah. something you've been, yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember um, a few years ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, I started investing in expensive jeans because <laughs> I was like, these, these are really, and that's what it was started for me, right? It was really just about cool factor. But as I began to uh, learn more about denim specifically and jeans uh, and just how many jeans we go through culturally uh, and even globally, uh, it started to become really astounding. I still today have jeans that I bought eight, nine years ago. Uh, that I still wear. And these jeans are specifically um, made to last, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a planned obsolescence baked into these these garments. And I think that um, that when I began to kind of dive into the world of denim, that really opened my eyes to uh, just how uh, much our are kind of consumerist, uh, very external, shallow uh, sense of identity um, has been exploited, right, in this industry. Um, so has, like, have there been major shifts for either of you in terms of, like, were there thresholds that you crossed in terms of your understanding of how fashion was a connection to the greater world for you and, and your relationship to it needed to evolve and change? Well, it's interesting because for me, um, towards the, so I was married over a decade ago and towards the end of that relationship, when it was at its peak of misery for me, I was also at my peak of purchasing Louboutins <laughs> because somehow, um, I mean, I've just, I truly have just always loved shoes and it's, it's from a very deep, it feels like a soul place. Um, it feels like a place where I can have fun in expression. And at the time I told myself the story that, you know, the cost and all this, it's like that much better of quality of goods. Um, I don't buy that. I don't believe that anymore. Um, and I feel like I, I worked that out to its end and realized that it was a, a pretty uh, fantastic coping mechanism um, to deal with us to, to deal with a situation um, internally that really, really needed to shift. It's pretty cool that I still have my shoes, but <laughs> not really planning on consuming in that way anymore. And handbags were another one for me. Um, and the, the nice thing about things that are made really well is like, I may have enough handbags for the rest of my life, or at least not need to get that many more. Um, Cause th when things are made really well, then even when they, like when leather distresses and all that, it, it, it patinas nicely. And, it, you know, so there's, there's something to it, but it really allowed me to see how much clothing consumerism and how we present ourselves to the external world is like when we're feeling hollow inside or when things aren't working internally, it can definitely be a way where we try to put this shell on 
and make it seem like to the external world, like things are all put together and they look really good. And it's kind of almost like convincing ourselves. And I feel like once the internal got right, rightened, the things that I still get joy um, and appreciation from putting on clothing that I've chosen and feel like is an aligned expression of me, but it's no longer trying to fill a hole. And so therefore that naturally how that ripples outward is you don't want to participate anymore as much in the um, type of fashion that's going to end up in landfills and that's bringing, putting microplastics into your, into our water system every time you wash it and all that kind of stuff that's going on. Um, and then related, I just discovered, have you heard of this company called Four Days? No. Um, they are a closed loop. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to do them justice because I don't know a ton about them, but basically they're, they're like tagline on the front of their webpage says the future is circular together. Let's make it a reality. And you pay for them to send you a bag so that you can recycle your clothing. And um, the reason I found them is I really love Bombas socks and Bombas has partnered with them. And so as I was like adding some Christmas socks to the cart, plug your ears. Um, I, uh, I grabbed one of these bags and it was like 10 bucks. And it said it holds, I don't know, like eight pounds of clothing. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting because normally I would have thought I'll just take this to Goodwill. And most of the time my clothes are in pretty good shape. So I assume someone's actually going to like hit the jackpot. They're going to be like, whoa, these jeans are normally 200 bucks and I just got it for three or whatever. But places like Goodwill, I'm sure throw away a lot of the items. And you might even be shocked at what of yours that you feel like is good quality ends up getting tossed, right? For one reason or another. And so a company like this for days, you actually... Uh, package it up, mail it into them. And then they have all these channels that they use to either resell, refurbish, downcycle. Um, it was saying a lot of the fabrics end up going into um, like insulation and things like that. So if the mm -hmm. item actually would be garbageable, mm -hmm. uh, you've got stains all over it or whatever, it actually just gets shredded and used for something like insulation. And this idea is just really exciting to me. So they have been able to knock down um, the percentage of things going into the landfill down to 5%. And so it's really cool. It's just fourdays.com. We'll put it in the show notes, but like, it's really cool to read the statistics. And this is something like I'm just finding out about now and to see how many millions of gallons or pounds or whatever of waste they've already diverted from the landfill. It's like, this is really cool that people are yeah. thinking about this this much and partnering with others who are doing the same things and making it easy for us as consumers and people who enjoy, um, you know, engaging with the fashion industry, doing so mindfully, but also realizing that uh, I think part of having a healthy mindset around all of it too is, is purging your closets, letting things go, um, letting things go be used by other people who are going to, be super grateful for them. We out, we outgrow things in one direction or another, you know? So it's like, it's so nice to have the both and of consuming less, consuming more mindfully, and also knowing where we can send things off to when we're done. 
Absolutely. I noticed a big evolution within myself growing up where uh, when I was younger, I was I was very instinctive when it came to buying clothes, like whatever looked whatever I liked in the moment, whatever looked cool. I just got it. And I ended up getting a lot of kind of cheap, low quality stuff that then I would get frustrated. Did not last that long or would just kind of deteriorate quickly? And I noticed as I got older, I started to invest in higher quality, a little more expensive pieces, but those pieces ended up lasting way longer. I mean, a lot of those pieces I, I still have today and they don't, they didn't deteriorate quality. They still feel the same quality when I put them on today as when I got them. And I just noticed that it was sort of a like one marshmallow, two marshmallow thing. We talk about this one marshmallow, two marshmallow, where um, there was this study from Stanford where kids that were, they told the kids that uh, if you, um, they put kids in a room with one marshmallow, they said, you can have this marshmallow right now, but if you, uh, if you wait, well, you can have two marshmallows later. And the kids that ended up taking the one marshmallow, uh, there were a bunch of uh, they followed them for the next however many decades, because this was like in the late 60s or early 70s. So it's all about impulse control. And obviously those things leading to success over the course of a lifetime, better life decisions, things like that. So we just more so than the study, literally, we, we use that concept to remind ourselves all the time of like, there's discomfort, we might call it ego discomfort or whatever, emotional discomfort in certain situations. And like, how can we remind ourselves to be making the two marshmallow options? Sometimes that can be com coming from the head and more research, but other times it's coming from like, even the moment you're in the store, you see something that you think is cool, but you're like, meh, is this really going to last? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We, so we use the one marshmallow, two marshmallows kind of shorthand for what's the what's like the kind of instinctive move that might actually not pay off that much in the long run, like just buying the thing that looks really cool, but it actually isn't that great quality. What's the two marshmallow move, which is like buying something that's a little more quality that I know is going to last. And I've noticed, noticed that that's uh, just made me way happier with my clothes. And there's a certain satisfaction in having those pieces that you've had for a long time. And the durability is still, um, it's still just as durable as it was when you got it. And I've noticed that's been a big mental shift for me too. Of the actual, the way that the clothes actually feel on my body actually change, like change my, my mental state and change how I feel mentally. And I wanted to ask you two about this and your experience with this. Cause I found that, um, these, these clothes that are more durable, just a little nicer quality last longer. Um, they have like a real profound effect on the way that I feel throughout the day, my mental state. When I first started at UCLA, I decided that I was going to wear a, uh, a polo or a button down and jeans uh, to every single one of my lectures. Uh, Cause there was this, you know, the college stereotype of like kind of rolling out of bed and going to class in sweatpants uh, and sitting in the back. I decided that I wanted to wear uh, my, one of my, some of my nicest clothes to uh, lecture every day and sit in the front. And I know this, this kind of makes me sound like a little bit of a tryhard, but it was actually really important for me mentally because when I first got to UCLA, it was so academically intense. It was um, intimidating in some areas. And I wanted the, just like that kind of confidence, mental boost and being able to wake up and put on like it's a like the whole dress for the job you want. Thing. Totally. And it's it was, I felt, I felt a little corny doing it at first, but it was actually like super uh, beneficial for me mentally to mm -hmm. actually wake up, um, put on uh, nice clothes and then go sit in the front. And it helped me focus uh, during lecture. 
Uh, so it was like a really like key, I, I look back on that time like really fondly because it was like a really like the what fashion did for me, what clothes did for me in that moment uh, was like really, really important. Just mm-hmm. giving me that kind of like confidence, mental boost, and just kind of getting me uh, focused during that time. Uh, just putting that on, I was like, okay, it's time to go sit. It's time to go focus. It's time to go learn. Like there was something that, that clo- what clothes provided me in that, like really gave me an important mindset, sh- mindset shift. So I wanted to hear your two uh, experiences uh, with this aspect of kind of the, the clothes and, and kind of mental connection. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally resonate with that. I mean, I think that my experience with, with clothing, you know, when I was, um, was 17 and, uh, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, you know, this is 21 years ago, we're walking through a mall and I had historically, you know, through high school kind of associated more with like the punk rock skate skater crowd. So that was kind of my aesthetic. Right. And, uh, you know, the late nineties, like the stud belts and the, you know, those, those were super in things like that. And, um, you know, I dyed hair, I'd paint my fingernails black and so when uh, we met and started dating, I kind of had this skater aesthetic. We were walking through the mall and we walked by a, an American Eagle store, which is not at all the skater aesthetic, right? It's very polo, you know, uh, uh, what I would maybe say at the time is more jock kind of, right? That Abercrombie kind of bro kind of uh, vibe. <clears throat> but there was a mannequin in the window and it had this outfit on and i was like that looks really nice and it was like this big thick wool sweater mm. that just had big block colors it wasn't too crazy or busy and it was all very earthy tones you know like a dark green and a maroon and a brown and these these jeans that just looked you know nice and and comfortable and i remember um saying that but then quickly following that comment up to Sarah, who was walking with me saying like, nah, I, but I could never, I could never wear it. It's not my, it's not my thing. She goes, why not? She's like, where would you like? Mm-hmm. And I, we went in and I felt the fabric. I was like, wow, these are, these are nice. Um, a few months later, I was working there and <laughs> like my entire my entire aesthetic shifted and I just remember the feeling because I had, you know, historically worn uh, more worn out clothes, skate, you know, all my pants had holes in them from skating and, uh, you know, band t-shirts was like the thing. Right. So um, the, the, the fabric was always thin and and worn out and, and very comfortable, but it didn't have that sense of like that, that weight when it draped your body. And so I, I uh, ended up, collecting a, a wardrobe of Amer- you know American Eagle uh, with my employee discount over the year year and a half that I worked there and um, yeah that was a turning point because I, I I do remember just the weight of the fabric and and you know today looking back I would I would not say that American Eagle is probably a sustainable uh, fashion company maybe I don't know what their deal is um, it's definitely not my aesthetic anymore but uh since then, you know, even the jeans that I mentioned earlier and in, investing in kind of you know, this, these Japanese heritage selvage jeans that are woven on looms that date back to the 30s and 40s, um, 
the weight and the way that they feel and the 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 toothiness of the fabric and the the starchiness you know when they're new and, and how they crinkle on you on on you as you walk um there definitely is something not just aesthetically but sensory that mm. it does right um so yeah what about you tina well, I'm just laughing because I worked at Abercrombie when I was in college mm -hmm. and it was at Arden Fair. So oh, that's funny. That far from me. What mall were you uh, working at? The Galleria. Okay, nice, nice. So we were we were within, you know, what, 20 miles. This is all around Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I feel like. I feel like as a, I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually feel into what I feel about the sensory experience because the first thing I feel is that mostly on a sensory perspective, I feel my undergarments much more so than necessarily the clothes. Like it feels like the core of my body is the most important thing of the sensation definitely how pants may meet my waistline is really important to me. Um, everyone, I think one of the things that the fashion industry is doing a really great job of now, and I think it's, we can thank probably the um, ideals of the spiral dynamic stage green, which is the equality stage. It's that everyone has a story. Everyone matters. It's the stage that's helped get diversity and inclusion officers into C-suites and all that kind of thing. Um, there's much more of a sense that bodies are all different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped a ton, um, with how clothing feels on bodies, because I think for a long time, people, and maybe especially women, but maybe just men experienced it, but didn't talk about it as much. I don't know. But in my circles of girlfriends, one of the one of the strained relationships with fashion came from a strained relationship with what culture says your body should look like. Mm -hmm. And then those clothes are made for that body. Right. And if you're not that body, then you can't, you don't have very many choices. Um, and all of that to me is a very interesting dynamic because it was almost like people putting on clothes forced a feeling of my body should be different because these clothes aren't hitting me or or making me feel the the way that I should be it's not comfortable but it's not right. comfortable because my body should be different not yeah, because yeah. these clothes should be made differently right. so that's just the first thing that came up for me I mean, I like, for example, rarely wear a bra, but I always have like a tank top on under things. Right. It's like just a more comfortable version, right? And it just changes, like having wires poking at you all day. And granted, people have different reasons for needing to have bras on or not and uh, the different contexts. And that's a whole side topic that I won't torture you two with. But like for all the years that I sat at a desk and had like a wire bra poking oh. at me all day and like these straps that kept falling off and all the things it's like, there's a lot about 
you don't even get to the layer layer of, oh, this cashmere feels really nice or these jeans fit right. really well because you're just like being poked at all the time. Right. So for me, maybe part of liberation in all of this is like the fact, I mean, it's, it's not an accident that part of the hippie movement was people actually burning bras. Like mm-hmm. you don't even get, you don't even get to the stage of how does this feel and how does it look? when there's something that's so obnoxious. Right. That's a part yeah. of your daily existence. Yeah. I think that's a great, I mean, I love that insight and I love, you know, this is why I think we wanted to talk about this, right? Because our relationship to clothes and fashion is really a proxy to our relationship to ourselves mm-hmm. and to our relationship to the world around us. Right. And and kind of what you're getting at there is there's something about, clothing in regard to our relationship to clothes and 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 our relationship to ourselves it is political innately Mm -hmm. right and it's very much tied to our notion of self and our sense of and our embodiment of self right and and is my body okay is this the right body to have Mm -hmm. and for example you know it, it is um there are there are marginalized communities in our country today that just being who they are as a physical human is a political issue right right um and so there's there's a you know that 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 lends you know or 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 connects this idea of of affiliation and belonging that that our bodies and and how we clothe our bodies is very much tied to not only our sense of self, but our sense of self in the context of relationship, right? And and who are we connected to? Um, and where do we find comfort? And where, you know, not just the physical sensory comfort of clothes, but how do we find relational comfort? And how is clothing a proxy to that? And as well as just kind of, you know, the, the connection back to uh, our consumer habits and what it means to be a consumer and and to depend on the broader world which is you know the other relationship that we're talking to right um that fashion as our as a proxy to the relationship that we have with the world um and the the these global systems right the the systems and the people behind the things that we depend on on a on a daily basis even down to the very basic thing like underwear um somebody made that right like there was some person in the world that had a hand in creating this garment that you know gets you know folded or or rolled up in a ball and put in a drawer somewhere uh that we that we wear um and so there's a sense of like when we reflect on that relationship and the relationship that we have through this garment to that person like what's our posture right is it a posture of gratitude is it a posture of entitlement um and then the sustainability thing is i think another huge aspect of this uh fashion as a proxy to our relationship to the world right many of the fabrics that we that constitute our clothing are synthetic right they're made from petrochemical uh you know it's it's oil based essentially right and so there's a there's a um, a sustainability story there as well and the recycling thing that you were talking about earlier tina with the bags and stuff so i think I think that this conversation is critical to have as we're reflecting on uh, 
the forces at play and and how we participate as agents in shaping the world that we want to live in. Um, the decisions that we make, even as mundane as the clothes that we put on our bodies, are inherently and innately statements about the world that we want to inhabit and occupy. Mm. Uh, and so I think um, these connections are are important to reflect on and and to continue unpacking. So I, I hope for our listeners that this wasn't just kind of a, a throwaway surfacey conversation, but it does provoke reflection and thought and consideration about how the clothes that we wear are indicative of our relationship to ourselves and the world around us. And ultimately the clothes that we wear, um, you know, how those, those clothes are, are uh, a step towards the kind of world that we want to, to live in. Mm. absolutely i couldn't have said it better yeah i think that's a great place to end for today for anyone listening we'll remind you what uh all the the number of ways to get a hold of us we would love to hear from you there's a contact form on the brontide podcast website um everything's in the show notes what topics are you curious to hear us talk about and also what do you have to add to this conversation what other ways are you seeing these things um it to me there's something infinitely hopeful and enjoyable about the fact that there's always so much more learning to do in any one of these directions and as far as getting our own lives aligned to our beliefs around interconnectivity and sustainability um there's always an up-leveling that each one of us can do and it starts with awareness. So Joel, Trace, thank you for the awareness you brought today. Thank you. Thank you. Much love everyone.